Hi, and welcome to another episode of Teen People, the podcast that catches up with real people from Teen People magazine. I'm Anna Soper. This episode is a conversation with Ellie Wen, who appeared on Teen People's annual list of 20 teens who will change the world in 2005. In the early 2000s, Ellie created an award-winning digital library called Repeat After Us. She and her friends recorded and transcribed poems, quotes, speeches, and books, including works by Katharine Hepburn, Frida Kahlo, Shakespeare, and Oprah. At the time, Ellie said that the website would function as a free resource for literature lovers and English language learners. The website had 2,000 hits a day when teen people profiled it in 2005. As an adult, Ellie has shifted into a career as a documentary filmmaker. Born in Hong Kong, Ellie's now based in San Francisco, where she lives with her husband and a pandemic baby. She spoke with me about Single Mother Only Daughter, a short film she made about her relationship with her mother Fabienne. The film is so moving, and I hope you see it. I have linked to it in the notes for this episode. I'm just, I think this is such a neat project. I'm so curious, like, how you got interested on this subject and, um, yeah, and then also how you found me. <laughs> you know, I was, I saw that interview with, what was it, Film LA or something? You were being interviewed about uh, about your short film with your mom. And, oh, okay, yeah. And you said you had a professor who gave you this advice, and the advice was, um, tell tell a story that only you could tell. Mm-hmm. It's based on my collection of teen peoples. I have That's awesome. maybe like 12 teen people magazines left from my subscription when I was in my early teens. I don't have the teen people that you were in um, because my subscription, I think I must have let it lapse in 2002. Mm. And um, so I actually found you through my public library has a um, subscription to a, a database that has um, just the full text of mm-hmm. major periodicals from basically the 1970s to the present. Mm-hmm. And so it's hilarious because when you go there, it's like, I remember the same platform from academic days, like during my BFA and my library science degree, it's <laughs> EBSCO host. But yeah. so, so you go in there and you type teen people and hit journal name. <laughs> and that pulls up the full archive of teen people. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> they think it's a journal, but it's just teen yes. people. Um, so I found you in, in this 20 teens who will change the world feature and um, just did a Google search. This is what I do with all of the people. Um, I just do a Google search. Some people you don't get anything. They just don't seem to have any digital footprint at all. And then other people, it turns out that they've, you know, they're like, a tech bro and they started a <laughs> they founded a company <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then with you I found I found this sort of what seems like two separate eras in your life your teenage mm-hmm. digital footprint which is all about your website repeat mm-hmm. after us mm-hmm. and then everything since which is about your filmmaking career so that's yeah. kind of that I just I found I found you online and reached out to you that way. It's so cool. Thank <laughs> you for inviting me on the show. This is awesome. I loved the description uh on the website. Is it still active? Like because it's still the URL is still 
Um, yeah, I was curious if you were able to catch it before it just went down. Like, I don't know how recently I have to fix it. I okay. don't know what happened. There was some bug. I was like, oh no, if she's trying to look, I wasn't sure like if you were like looking into it or not. And I was like, oh no, I hope she saw it before it went down. Um, I did. Sure you did. Oh, okay, good. I did. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I also looked it up on the Wayback Machine. Um, oh, smart. Nice. Um, so that I could see like its earliest iteration um, wow, from from the time so cool. <laughs> from the time <laughs> when teen people um, <laughs> contacted you. Um, it's oh it's funny. Gosh, so funny. I should <laughs> do that. I'm so curious. That's such a fun way to see how it progressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in many ways, it actually kind of seems similar um, architecturally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, I just yeah, like the way you described it early, early on was like had this very sort of young, earnest teenager energy that I really recognized in myself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like if I had been making a website at that time in my life, it probably would have read like that too. And Mm. I loved the description because you said that this website is for people who want to practice speaking English. Um, But you also have these other reasons or rationales behind the website that are so much more than kind of technical language learning but are really kind of cultural, like mm-hmm. um, you uh, enjoy audio tapes on long car rides, or you want to shoot pool and listen to Hamlet at the same time, <laughs> or you miss having their parents read bedtime poems to them. Mm. So there's a sort of sentimentality um, in, mm-hmm. in, in your rationale for creating the website that I really enjoyed seeing oh thanks (laughs) well it's so funny because you do you have seen single mother only daughter um but my mom is just like a huge inspiration and influence in my life and um we used to volunteer as you probably came across in some of your research um the idea for repeat after us came from this volunteer work that we would do together um I started I think in ninth grade Um, And it was this local community center in downtown LA um, where it was for, it was an after-school program where um, Hispanic youth could come after school and we would just go and tutor um, and just like to help them with homework, but also um, bring in our own activities and and books and poems and things. So my mom was an English major at Yale. So she's just always been like great about inspiring my love of, of reading and um, grew, like raised me on, on poetry and, and books and everything. So it's just all very connected. And so we were bringing that to, to Las Familias, which is the name of that center, um, and realized that that could be just a really fun way to help teach English um, to their, well, not to them necessarily, the kids, but we realized that the parents were um, doing these programs after school as well, um, where they were trying to learn English as a second language. Um, and we just thought it's just so much more fun to, to learn through appreciating, being able to appreciate literature or movies or audio. Um, and it's, it's just so special that you're a librarian too, because um, I don't know if you saw on the website, but that was a big part of the outreach um, that we did was when like, so when I say we, it's like me, my mom, and like my friends, Every it was like a big team effort to make the website happen. Um, because as you know, it's a lot of texts that are on there and a lot of texts that have been recorded. Um, 
So to kind of help connect the dots of how I got from like that to being in film, I've always loved being, um, I've always loved performing and performing arts as well. So I just was in theater. I was a theater nerd and um, <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of friends from that, from like plays and stuff. So it rounded up all my theater friends and rec we recorded a bunch of those texts together. And it just kind of became like this fun um, weekend hang that we would do. Like once we had a bunch of things recorded, we wanted to make sure it could get to people who needed it. Um, and so my mom had a great idea of reaching out to librarians and librarians ended up being an amazingly helpful resource and we're very supportive of the project. Like we really just looked up whatever emails we could find online basically um, and basically spammed people, I guess, <laughs> but tried to personalize it, I guess. Um, but yeah, everyone was really receptive and kind to pass it along. At what point did you get media interest in this project? I think it kind of started from at my school, we had a community service director and I was really lucky to go to a high school that really like encouraged and fostered this um, idea of giving back. And so we had a community service director who I think maybe she told me about this thing called the Barron Prize, which was started by um, the author Tom Barron, the ch ch children's book author Tom Barron. Um, and they recognize youth leaders basically who are creating interesting projects and helping people in their community. And so she nominated me and suggested that I apply for this. And I do think it was really the Barron Prize um, receiving that award that kind of started getting mm, the project on people's radars. Because I think from there, um, Voice of America contacted me and we did an interview with them. And um, it was kind of a snowball effect and I don't really remember the order in which everything happened. Um, but Team People was definitely like the big exciting, <laughs> um, not finale, but like <laughs> culminating point. And I feel, I, I have such a terrible memory these days. I really wish I could remember like the moment they contacted me or like how it happened, but I really don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really special thing. And of course I grew up reading teen people as well. So it was just really surreal. Um, I don't know if you've, so when you looked it up, were you able to see it or was it still just text only? It was just the plain text. I really yeah, wish yeah. there'd been a PDF. So oh, I don't, I'm so I've glad I've seen it. I'm so glad you have it because <laughs> <laughs> I still had braces on. It was just a whole, <laughs> a whole look that I, I don't really want to look at again. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have that issue of teen people? Oh yeah. My mom, <laughs> my mom and I are such hoarders. We keep like everything from, from like my babyhood on <laughs> yeah um so we this, have it this is why I storage. still have my teen people exactly you get it yeah <laughs> we're the same yes. um I I used to have it in storage somewhere I haven't looked at it in a long time but um it was really cute my uncle afterwards was he was always very supportive and proud and he blew up this he got some friend I think to photoshop a version of the cover of that issue with like me on it which was not <laughs> how it came out <laughs> um and he like framed it in a in a big poster for me so it was really, really cute do you remember who was on the cover oh gosh because I haven't seen that 
think it was I, April 2005. I should look that up. It's probably like Orlando Bloom or somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay. I feel like I have looked at recently. I should know who was on it. One um, of the things yeah. that you told teen people in that story was that you wanted to reach the greatest number of people. And you, you said that a website at that point was how you felt like you could do that. It seems super ambitious for a teenager and their friends to build a website from scratch, to do a thing that we rely on large companies to feed us a service like that every single day. Like there are library apps like Overdrive and there's Netflix and there's Amazon Prime, but you mm-hmm. were doing this yourself from your home or your school. How did you feel about that? How do you think about that in, in retrospect? Well, in terms of the wanting to reach as many people as possible, um, again, have to give credit to my mom. I feel like she just raised me to want to do good in this world and to want to have impact somehow. Um, and if there's a way I can like bridge it with my own passions, then all the better. Um, so I think it was like, the idea was that this kind of service or um, entertainment even could really be beneficial to people all over the world because it's the ideas about learning English as a second language. So I think it was pretty, it was ingrained into the initial idea of the whole thing that we would want to reach people far and wide globally, um, not just locally, because that wasn't really where it was needed the most. And then, yeah, in terms of building the website, it's so funny because that's that's something that I feel like I could so easily do now, like with the Squarespaces and like, oh, like it's just so much easier to build websites now. Um, but back then, like you were saying, it was really challenging. And I was, again, very lucky that it was a team effort that um, really took a whole village of my friends and like family and everybody. Um, but I had friends who were really good at designing websites and or like were very technically proficient and went to computer camp and stuff. Um, so they kind of helped me build the framework. But then I was the one that was actually doing the uploading and the um, adding of the text and the recording. So I had to learn a minimal amount of like how to edit the wave files and like <laughs> edit out the mistakes and things. Um, but it was great. And I do think that, again, my mom, I'm going to talk about my mom, like for half of this, I think. So, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but again, I think the dynamic of being like a single mom and an only daughter, she just um, really empowered me to think that I could do anything. Um, and like, I would take care of fixing the internet at our house. Like, you know, I, I was like empowered to do these things. Empowered slash uh, forced. <laughs> she didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> um, but I think it was a really good mentality to have. Um, and so, yeah, of course, building a website is daunting, but it was, it was like this can-do attitude that she gave me um, that made it feel less impossible. And once yeah, once I had this team and people to support me and um, do it with me, it just became easier and easier and really fun. Nice, nice. Because I think people don't often appreciate the amount of work that goes into digitization. And that's essentially what you were doing. 
Um, but like, this is st- something that Google pays contractors minimum wage to go into libraries and just sit in front of a scanner. That's why you see people's fingertips on Google Books sometimes, because it's an actual person who's been contracted out to go into an academic library and just sit there and scan an entire cart full of books. And yep. that's kind of thankless work. It really is. Um, so it's it's quite interesting to hear you describe it as so um, exciting and empowering. Yeah, I think I like being feeling productive and like um, seeing results, I guess. So I think as soon as it started kind of catching on and like we were getting views and hits on the website, that was even more motivating um, to just continue providing content. And like at the time, we didn't have the type of um, information that we could get now of like, you know, which which pieces were the most popular and like what people really wanted and all of that. So it just kind of ended up being like pedal to the uh, metal and just like try to do everything, like give everything and record everything. We don't know what people are responding to, but we want to provide it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. What's your favorite piece of, of English literature that you put on that website? I had a lot of fun um, reading Alice in Wonderland with my friends so (laughs) so maybe that it was just like we got to like do voice acting and really put on those characters and it was really fun Mm. I mean we did that with a lot of pieces but that one kind of sticks out and at what point did you realize that you wanted to be a filmmaker so that's been a whole yeah whole journey um I as you may have seen I actually started out wanting to be an actor (laughs) and then um it's like how do I delete those headshots from Google (laughs) (laughs) that was another very specific phase of my life um yeah so I went to Stanford for undergrad and studied theater there and thought I wanted to do acting um but at the same time I was always still interested in um in just how the film industry worked in general. So in my summers in college, I was interning at production companies and casting agencies and talent agencies, just to kind of, I don't know, I'm just curious, I guess. I just wanted to understand like how everything worked together. And there was a part of me, I think that I've always been like, I do a, like a, I like to do projects and like put things together. Um, so I think I realized there's a part of me that wanted to maybe be a producer as well. After graduating from college, I gave the acting career a good solid like six month try. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if this is for me. I don't really like having no control over my career, Um, which I think things have really changed now. I love seeing like there's so many actor, writer, director, producers like hyphenates. Um, But at the time, I don't I don't know why I was like, I'd rather try producing and like kind of hit pause on trying acting for a little bit. So I started getting more interested in producing. I did the whole traditional like producing industry route where I worked at a talent agency, um, which is very much like the TV show Entourage depicts um, pretty (laughs) intense bosses and crazy hours and um, yeah, thankless work. But it was an eye opener and kind of um, helped me as I produced my first feature film which I actually co-wrote with my mom. So there's my mom again in my life. (laughs) Um, We do everything together, apparently. (laughs) Um, And so so that was the movie called White Frog. Um, And 
making that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Kind of similar to how Repeat After Us started, knew nothing about websites and with White Frog, knew nothing about how to produce the movie, really. I had only interned at production companies and worked at a at this talent agency for like a year and a half before I started doing this. But um, again, just felt empowered to try and was able to really um, be able to draw from the support of mentors and people that I had interned for or had come across and some of my idols. Um, I just reached out to them and they said yes. So I was like, great, let's let's make this movie. So made that, loved it, um, but continued to kind of work these studio jobs and like trying to further myself in the industry in that way and learn more at the same time. And then fast forward like a few years, I started getting a little bit um, jaded by the politics of how <laughs> the industry worked um, and felt like I was getting more and more removed from the creative process, at least at these like jobs that I was doing. I was always still hustling and making my own things outside of work, but at work, I was just feeling like things were just always being burdened by politics of the people at the companies. And um, I really wanted to get back to being more hands-on and making things myself. So I enrolled in this um, um, after, after, not after school, after, um, after work, uh, UCLA extension program um, and at that point I was just getting more and more interested in documentaries and I enrolled in this class and that's the one that I think um, you quoted the professor who gave me that really good advice about tell something only you can tell and think small rather than like trying to solve every problem in one film and so I took that course for like 10 weeks it was once a week um, for 10 weeks and made single mother only daughter in that class. And that just really um, gave me the, the passion and the fuel to think that this could be my career. I had never really thought of myself as a director, but once I did that, I was like, I do have stories to tell maybe <laughs> of my own, not just, you know, producing other people's. I was just really in love with the idea of telling real people's stories and hopefully making an impact in that way by, by sharing them and spotlighting underrepresented communities and issues. So I decided to apply to grad school um, and pursue it and really give myself a chance to be in this bubble of not having like a full-time job to kind of wrestle with at the same time and to just give myself this space to fully figure out if there was something there and to develop my my voice. So I went back to Stanford and did the MFA program in documentary film and graduated from there in 2019. And now I'm in San Francisco and trying to do this full time. <laughs> what are you working on right now? So I'm working on a um, project about a teen crisis hotline that is actually based in Los Angeles. And I learned about it because a good friend of mine from high school um, took his own life, um, but then his mother got really involved with this with this um, uh, with this organization, and I'd always heard about it over the years. So I think kind of when the pandemic started, I just kept reading a lot about how you know mental health toll on youth especially is just really taking a toll. Um, and I remembered Teen Line and just how amazing it is that there's these young teenagers that are volunteering 
for this crisis hotline and helping other teens. And I thought it was such a great idea and I was really curious how it worked and who were these teens that like would do this kind of work and what motivates them and draws them to do it. Um, so that's, that's what I'm working on right now. It seems to me like you seem quite interested in teenage stories and teenage, the teenage experience, because there's also that film. Um, I saw the trailer of this film about, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a bunch of girls doing engineering yeah. science camp stuff. Yeah. This is so funny. Cause I realized kind of, as I was talking, I had the same realization that like, I think I'm really interested in teen stories for some reason. And I'm linking back to my last few projects and they have, they're all either like women's issue centered or like adolescent age range. Yeah. So yeah, my last film was The Misfits about this all girls robotics team in San Francisco. And that was my thesis film at Stanford. Um, and it was, I've just always been a sucker for competition documentaries. I just, I don't know. It's just so fun to see people who are super passionate about what they're doing and to root for them and like to really hope they succeed at whatever they're trying to do. Um, so I've always wanted to do something like that and have always also been very passionate about women in STEM and like trying to figure out how I can support that and like shine the light on that. Um, but always struggle a little bit with like, how do you make that visual? Um, because when people think about it, it's like women coding and it's like, how do you make a whole film around somebody behind a computer. And so then I started thinking about robotics. And, um, and then when I met these girls and saw them doing a demonstration for these kids, for these young kids, I was like, this is it. This is amazing. It's super exciting to watch. Um, and I followed them for their whole competition season. Do you have a filmmaker or a film that's really inspiring to you? Hmm. Well, it's funny, I, I'm not sure this answers the question, but when you were mentioning actually the inspiration for this podcast, um, it made me think of, of course, Michael Abted and the um, Seven Up series. Seven Up, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, That's what my uncle said when I first told him about this project. He was like, because he grew up in England, he was like, that sounds like Seven Up. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe it is a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I just love, I love the concept of what you're doing. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And that it has like a personal connection to you too, which is really cool. It's so hard. I, I just have films that I love and people that I admire. But um, one that I think I always come back to is Stories We Tell by Sarah Polly. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, She's Canadian. Oh, right. oh my gosh, yay! Yes. I didn't even intend to say a Canadian yes. filmmaker, but there it is. <laughs> I have not seen that film, um, but that's interesting because she started out in uh, she started out as an actor, yeah, and then exactly. moved into filmmaking. Yeah, so I really admire her career, um, but also just have been very inspired by that particular film. Um, so highly recommend that you watch it. <laughs> I will. Yes, I will. Um, what is it about that film that's so inspiring to you? Um, I'm really drawn to personal films, I think, just from the experience of making my own. And the way she just so deftly um, brought us along this very personal journey of hers, it just really resonated with me and kind of the experience that I had with making my own personal film. So yeah. you seem to be a filmmaker that's that's interested in telling uh, or describing your lived experience as well as 
touching on broader themes. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the balance. Um, and I try to at least, if it's somebody else's story, I don't want to like only make personal films about my own life. But if I'm telling other people's stories, I do hope that there's a personal connection at least to it um, that connects me to my subjects or to the issues. Um, so yeah, I do think that I strive to do everything through a very personal lens. That's a wonderful segue to single mother, only daughter. And I'd love to talk about that a little more. Um, it sounds like that film was not necessarily planned, but it sort of unfolded. And you realized during, during filming and, and maybe afterwards that that's, that was a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how that came about um, and how that was for you and your mom to make such a personal film together. Yeah. Um, well, so like you said, I did not intend to make this film. <laughs> it was literally the week before I was supposed to go into production in this class when my original subject fell through. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And again, my professor, Susanna Casares, who's an amazing filmmaker herself, she had the genius advice of um, not only like tell something only you can tell, but even more specifically um, to think small and to think about what have what has actually been like really on my mind lately or like what has what have I concerned myself with lately that um and that was like a really good way to think about it because I think um as you know somebody who wants to create change and have a positive impact on the world it can be very overwhelming like oh my god I need to make I want to I need to make something about climate change or no about like systemic racism or like there's just so much you want to cover but I thought that advice was so great because first of all, there's like a lot of people who can tell these stories to, like together. It's not all on me. And I think the best thing I can do for, for myself, for people and for everyone is to really figure out what I can tell in my own way, in my voice, um, in a way that's the most authentic. Um, so I realized that, yeah, in the, in the course of this, taking this class, I had always been thinking like about my mom and our relationship. It had just been something that was really weighing on my mind um, in my personal life. And so I called my mom knowing there was like a possibility that I could make a film about her, but I did not expect the actual phone call to be the whole film. And so I recorded it just to like be able to have notes basically for later. Um, And it was during the course of the phone call that we both realized together (laughs) that the phone call was in fact the film. I think this is the documentary, single parent, single child. How it's great, it's absolutely great. But it's also, yeah. I think yeah. when it was just you and me, then things were very clear. Like for better or for worse, it was just you and me, mm-hmm. right? And because I was the adult, that meant that I had to do everything for you, plan my life around you. Uh-huh. 
I think that's why I'm so happy that you found Greg and I love him. Your wedding day is the happiest of my life. And and, and that's me not believing in weddings, right? I know. <laughs> Sometimes it scares me because you're like, I could die peacefully now. It's like, just because I have a husband doesn't mean I don't need you. I know, no, 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 don't. Yeah, no, 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 no. No, and we still need each other and we're still the closest and best mom, daughter. I love you so much, mommy. And so... Um, if you've seen it, it's like a 10 minute film, but actually it was really a, like a two and a half hour long conversation, um, that got cut down to this 10 minutes that you see. Um, and, and yeah, it, it just started out, I guess, because I had also been recently, like we were <laughs> talking about earlier, I'm a hoarder. I keep all my photos and journals and everything as you see in the film too. And so I had been on like kind of a nostalgic, in a nostalgic mood recently at that point and been looking through my old journals. And so that kind of inspired the decision to talk about these things with my mom too. Um, so yeah. And so always keep all your magazines and journals and everything. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you never know, you never know what you could back. create later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like 20 years later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it sounds like there was also geographic distance between you at the time uh, because right. uh, she was in Hong Kong. I'm assuming there was one point in the film where you said, uh, you know, that won't be till next February. You won't be here till next February. Mm -hmm. um, what yeah. effect did that distance have? I think it had just kind of put additional strain maybe on the relationship. Um, it's just really tough to be able to stay as in each other's lives when there's such a huge time difference. And yeah, she's waking up when I'm going to bed and vice versa. So um, I think I was maybe feeling like less connected to her at that point than I wanted to be. And um, and that is part of the guilt that I was feeling already, um, just having, like, what I discuss in the film, basically, with um, kind of having my own life going on now and, like, moving on from living with her and going to college and, like, all of these big life milestones um, that I was worried that I wasn't, like, bringing her along with me. And the distance definitely, I think, created space to realize that, too. I think it's been an interesting year and I've reflected a lot on single mother recently too, because now that I'm a mom myself, <laughs> it's just given, added so much more perspective and meaning to my relationship with my mom too. Um, and, and it's really scary. Like I, I'm, I just feel like I'm constantly terrified and I don't think it's just the pandemic that's doing this to me, but I'm just, it's just, as, as you get good things happen to you, it just gets scarier and scarier. Like there's just so much more to lose. And I do think there's been this part of me that's always kind of had a wall up or like, I don't want to be too dependent on other people or let too many people in because the fear of having that taken away is, is just too great. So it's, I, I kind of, did hold off on having a kid for quite a long time because I was trying to work through all these feelings and, mm -hmm. um, and things. But I mean, now I'm, I love my kid, but it's terrifying. Um, just all the potential dangers that are lurking <laughs> peanuts, apparently. <laughs> um, but 
it's I guess it's worth it too though because the joy far outweighs the fear so yeah in the film you say I don't see how I could be ready for motherhood at all because of what I saw through you Mm. through your mom Mm -hmm. how has that changed now or has it changed since you've become a mom yourself um I think my mom just always I feel like I'm in therapy (laughs) you have such a comforting um just way of speaking someone else told me this actually (laughs) now I'm getting (laughs) self-conscious no no you're an amazing interviewer I really I have much to learn from you actually oh my gosh you're kidding (laughs) no no I I'm really impressed by just how much research you did and feel really like safe that you you know me it's like we have never met but I really feel like you know me in my background so thank you for that thank you so much for saying that yeah (laughs) so I feel compelled to tell you these really personal things (laughs) (laughs) um but I think I'm still sorting out motherhood it's very early on still um but um I think what made me terrified was just my mom set this really high bar um, of being a mom. (laughs) She gave up like her whole life and career passions and dreams and things for me. And I knew that I just couldn't live up to that. Like selfishly, I just knew that I had things that I wanted to pursue um, or have things that I want to pursue. And And there's also part of me that doesn't think it's necessarily like the right decision. I mean, I benefited from what she did and the sacrifices that she made for sure. I wouldn't be where I am today without her doing that. But I also do think that it's not the healthiest thing to do either. I wish she got to do more of the things she wanted to do in her life and it would have maybe put less pressure on our relationship. I do hope I'm trying to figure out how to navigate the balance between being a parent and pursuing my own career. But um, I feel really grateful that my husband and I are like complete co-parents and um, he's super supportive of my career and I am with him and we're able to somehow um, do both right now. But again, wouldn't be possible without my mom because she did move up here as soon as she found out I was pregnant. Um, (laughs) and, and we wouldn't have gotten through this pandemic and like going back to work without her. Um, I have so much respect for people who are at home with kids and trying to work right now. I just really don't understand how it's doable without help. And so feel super grateful that my mom comes over every day to play with Kai and loves it. Um, but it's very important to me that it doesn't ever feel like work for her. Like I want it to be something that's enjoyable. So kind of going back to the like interdependence thing, I, yeah, I don't want to ever become like fully dependent on her help either, because then I think it shifts into a different kind of territory. I'm going to butcher it. I don't really remember. I heard somebody recently say some like famous person on some interview was saying how, um, like every day that your kid grows up is like a day that they need you less or something like that. And it's so true. And I am like holding on to my son these days, just like, he's only five months old, but I'm already like, don't grow up too fast. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I am already dealing with this like this pain and sorrow of like as he grows up he's gonna need me less and less and I'm just realizing so much more of what my mom went through I mean I always knew it like on a like a mental level that yeah like as soon as I went to college it probably must have been very lonely for her like I knew it like logically but now that I'm like seeing it in my future I like it hits me a lot harder yeah do you think you might remake single mother only daughter in the future (laughs) (laughs) I know um all my friends tease me that yeah my kid is like inevitably gonna become like part of one of my subjects (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's born into this life sorry sorry (laughs) um I mean I definitely have thought about revisiting all of that um with my mom but also now with my own child so we shall see um I feel like there is probably still more to to explore so I ask this um of all of my guests uh if this project is a little bit like seven up this is probably like the most seven up question but what advice would you give to your teenage self (laughs) literally it's a good question um Well, (laughs) something I just thought of was, like, call your grandparents more. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because we lost my mom's father um, last year, or year before last, sorry, actually. Mm. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, and I just, he lived in Hong Kong, um, and so I think there's just a part of me I have this like call your call grandparents like google calendar reminder (laughs) um and yeah I don't know I just wish I had more time with him I I don't know I have to say like for as you saw like in single mother it's not like everything was perfectly rosy and and cheery um, sounds like it was tough at times yeah but I, I I also don't want it to seem like I, I was like a really happy-go-lucky kid too. Like, so I had a really, I'm, I have really, really fond memories of high school and being a teenager too. So it's not so much the advice, I wouldn't so much be like, it gets better because like I was really happy then too. <laughs> um, but I think it would, maybe it would be that like, um, yeah, that my mom and my relationship is is going to develop into different into a different type of relationship as we get older and it's it's going to be great um and we'll have an even deeper understanding of each other as I get older yeah that sounds like really good advice both things yeah yeah (laughs) so in 2005 teen people magazine described you as a teen who would change the world I know so much pressure (laughs) (laughs) I still haven't I have so much work to do (laughs) You mean you um, haven't changed the world? <laughs> um, I I think I've become more and more comfortable. Like, it's, I think at one point I thought changing the world meant like really having to be, just having to reach like so many people and like create impact like across just millions and millions of people. And 
I don't know, through making films where I get to hear just like one person's feedback that it really touched them and inspired that, like with Single Mother, I, as when I made it in that class, I actually was super self-conscious about it. And like, I had to show a rough cut of what I was doing. And so I was like, okay, here it is. But I really don't even know if this counts as a film. Like, this is such a personal thing. It feels like a diary entry, really. Um, but luckily that professor and my classmates really encouraged me um, to, to finish it and make it. And since putting it out in the world, which again, I've really questioned whether I should do for the longest time because it felt so personal. Um, I was like, who's gonna be able to relate to this? It's such a specific scenario. And yet it but, turns out everyone can relate to it. Yeah, right. And that's just been the greatest lesson, I think, for me in terms of like how I can have impact. Um, I don't need to like, I mean, of course it'd be nice to be recognized, win awards, sure. But the greatest, it's its so cheesy, but like really the greatest gift that I can get for and being recognized for my work is by having like one person tell me that it moved them and inspired them to call their mom or, or that it really helped them reevaluate something in their life or it taught them something. So, so that's, I think my goals of how I can change the world are a little bit smaller now, but on a more like one-to-one level rather than, yeah. Millions and millions of people. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems, it must be gratifying because the film seems to have done well. Like you, you got some recognition for it. And I noticed that Vimeo had it on their staff picks and there were tons of comments underneath the film. Again, just really unexpected in terms of how people were able to connect with it. And even though they don't, they don't come from the same family background or anything, um, how people from all walks of life have been able to connect with it has been really cool. And um, my mom, I think she really loves the film and like, will still to this day, like watch it from time to time, just like on her own. (laughs) Um, But I'm just really grateful that I have it, like just captured this conversation and this moment in time. And um, it's like a love letter to her and to our relationship. Um, I'm just grateful that she has it for whenever she needs it. And, um, <laughs> and then also that she can see that there's comments and people who love her and like and hear from people like you who call her elegant. And so <laughs> um, but it's like a nice, it's a warm hug um, from the internet to see that. And, and hopefully it provides comfort to people too. If this podcast had a music budget, you'd be hearing The Littlest Birds by the Be Good Tanyas in this outro. Something about Ellie's attention to small details in her filmmaking reminds me of that song. The Littlest Birds Sing the Prettiest Songs. You can watch Ellie's film Single Mother, Only Daughter online. Find it in the notes for this episode and check out Ellie's website, elliewen.com. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at TeenPeoplePod and please share and subscribe for notifications of upcoming episodes. Until next time, I'm Anna Soper. Stay well.